Welcome to the OA Virtual Kitchen Sink Meeting Podcast. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroup at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live and how to donate to support this meeting and our podcasts. The opinions expressed on the Kitchen Sink Podcast are those of the individual speakers and do not represent OA as a whole. And now, our speaker. Six years and... Okay, I'm Laurie Capusable Reader. It is now 36 years and some days since I joined this fellowship. Uh, February 11th, 1986 is when I first came to the doors. I came in because a friend of mine who had been in the alcoholic gutter, literally, in the gutter of my my hometown, was brought into a state of serenity and a miraculous recovery by other AA members who had had exactly the same thing happen to them. They were also in the gutter, and they had been brought into this state of serenity and recovery. And he told me that even though I had never been in the gutter, and even though I was not yet morbidly obese, I was just really obese, uh, and even though my problems seemed to be only related to food because I had gone to counseling and solved many of the emotional problems that were going on in my life, uh, that I had the right to take my food addiction as seriously as he took his alcohol addiction. And I, I wanted what he had, uh, except I don't like alcohol very much, and I've never been an alcoholic. I'm, never, I don't, I'm not even close to being an alcoholic. So I attended my first meeting in 1986. I got a sponsor. I started to work the steps, and for seven years, in and out of relapse. That's what that's my basic story, until uh, as of approximately May of 1993, I uh, got abstinent uh, and found the recovery that, um, that I now have in OA. So it's for 28, almost 29 years, that the miracle has happened to me. Now, this miracle, for me, is best expressed uh, by the statement that I can be around all the foods uh, that used to beckon to me. I can have suggested to me all the eating behaviors that used to beckon to me and not want them. And be happy for other people who are indulging in them who don't have an addiction. And that to me is an amazing miracle. It's not to my wife or to my most of my friends who, uh, you know, they can pick up ice cream and they can have a little bit and say, I'm full. I don't want it anymore. It's good taste. And whereas I cannot, uh, I cannot eat ice cream because I've eaten more ice cream in my life than uh, any normal person uh, would eat in their lifetime. Now, the behaviors I indulge in were also addictive. And uh, many people in this fellowship have um, addictive behaviors that may or may not be related to food, uh, or are related to food, but they may or may not be related to specific foods. The relapses I had for the seven years all came from my having been in a diet program that told me that once I lost my weight, I could eat anything in moderation. And from my sponsor, a wonderful person who took me through the steps, who told me the same thing, that my problem was simply that I have to learn how to eat moderately. And for seven years in this fellowship, I would go on a diet, work the steps, really feel good, and then relapse once I took a little bit of this. You know, I, uh, you know, it was two cookies or a half a donut or a, a scoop of ice cream, and you have to shave it off, you know, just so it's exactly a, a half a scoop of ice cream. Those were, I could have that once a week. Well, you know, 
the ice cream went from being a shaved-off scoop within six months to being the whole bucket. Um, and, and, and I didn't understand this. I finally began, and I, I rejected, you know, like we, we just read from how it works, food, uh, you know, uh, uh, remember we deal with food, cunning, baffling, uh, terrible. I didn't understand that. I didn't reject it. I loved food. It wasn't a, it didn't cause me to walk into traffic, uh, you know, or, or, or miss, uh, hotel, miss meetings or not know where I was or do violent things. It just made me more sedentary and affected my entire life. So my relapse was caused in large measure by my unwillingness to accept the reality of my entire experience. That for me, once I started to indulge in certain kinds of foods, I developed uncontrollable cravings. This is what is found in the doctor's opinion. The sense of uncontrollable cravings. I need more of this. I need more of this. And that my real problem wasn't that, because all kinds of people suffer from all kinds of uh, uh, uncontrollable things. They can't things they can't control their lives. They might suffer from physical or mental uh, problems that uh, make it uh, impossible for them uh, to do certain things. Some people have mobility issues that they can't do anything about. Uh, thinking issues. I, I, I wear uh, computer glasses to, to be able to look at the screen. I accept those things. My real problem is that I have a mind that gives me every excuse that seems reasonable at the time to go back to that which I know I have to indulge in, which I cannot indulge in. So the first order of business was for me to identify what caused me the uncontrollable cravings and to abstain from that and then to work the steps which gave me the freedom from wanting to return to that which caused me uncontrollable cravings. Now, I want to talk about uncontrollable cravings just for a moment, because we are a spectrum fellowship. Uh, my wife says I, I am on the spectrum. She's a social worker. She's, I hope she's joking. Uh, but at any rate, we're a, a, an umbrella fellowship. We run the, the spectrum from eating behaviors, just like Gamblers Anonymous, uh, gambling behaviors, uh, Codependence Anonymous, Al-Anon. These are behavioral um, addictions to single substance uh, fellowships like Alcoholics Anonymous, Crystal Meth Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, in between are combinations like Narcotics Anonymous. Um, and we are people, who, some of us have eating behaviors only, some of us have single substance behaviors only, and some of us have a combination of ingredients, specific substances, and eating behaviors. I, I have the, the combination of all three of those. But... The important thing is that OA has, has made it very clear in its group conscience that no one's plan of eating, which allows for the abstaining from those things that cause us problems, no one should adopt anyone else's and think that that's theirs. They have to do their own analysis. And that's different from some of the other food uh, addiction fellowships uh, in, in, uh, in the world. What we are is the umbrella. And I can eat things you can't eat, and you can eat things I can't eat. And we, we should revel in these differences. For some of us, it is simply uh, uh, binge eating. For some of us, it is simply binge eating and then vomiting. For some of us, it's restricting our food. For others of us, it may be sugar. It may be fat. For, uh, uh, for some of us, it may be sugar and fat, or, uh, or fat and salt. For some of us, it may be specific foods, fast foods, or, you know, a particular kind of food. 
or it may be a combination of all of those. For me, it's a, it's a combination, as I said. The, the, the physical concept is that we can't control it once we start. Not that it is specifically physical. We're not doctors. We're not, we don't know what it is. But the fact is that I am a person who, once he gets his jaw moving around and his tongue moving around, chewing gum or chewing celery or carrots, as I used to do in my, all to keep my mouth busy, as I used to do in my old diet, I developed a craving to eat greater quantities. And I've identified that as an eating behavior I must abstain from, which is why I do three meals a day and nothing in between. Because if I eat in between, I, my volume goes up. But I also have a problem with foods which have combinations of high fat and sugar or high fat and salt. All desserts uh, and a whole bunch of well, deep fried foods and fast foods and things of that sort. So I've had to abstain from those. Plus I have found some foods that even though they don't contain high fats or high sugars or, uh, or, or a lot of salt, get to me. And I've had to give those up. Um, it's not a big deal to me. Because once I finish step nine, as guaranteed by, this, uh, uh, by the 12 steps, I'm sane. And because I'm sane, I look at these things that are offered to me, and instead of a mind that says, oh, well, you should, you, you know, it's been a tough day, or difficult things are going on, or they've never made it for, I've never, you've never had this taste before, it's a new flavor of ice cream, or uh, they made it especially for you, or you're standing up, so it doesn't count, or you exercise for five minutes, so boy, that's, that's worth a cake, uh, or tragic things have happened to you, or tragic things are going on in this world, or you want to celebrate, all those reasons, your mind will pick one that makes sense at the time. I don't get that anymore. Because just as any sane person would who would die if they ate shrimp or, or peanuts, I say, well, why would I eat this stuff? It's poison for me. It's not poison for you, but it's poison for me. This sanity guaranteed by the 12 steps um, is, the, is the true miracle of any addiction 12-step fellowship. The ability to be around what used to cause you uncontrollable cravings and not want it. Actually, it's one of the first things that attracted to me about my friend who got me into OA by telling me I should take my food as seriously as he took his alcohol. As he began to rehabilitate himself out of the gutter, he had to start earning money. And one of the first jobs he did was run a bartending school. But he didn't drink any of the liquor that he was teaching people how to, how to do because he wasn't tempted by it. I thought... This is, you know, I heard a story. This is a miracle for him. It's not for me. I don't like liquor. But for him, it was a miracle. So working the steps uh, is, is the key to, to getting rid of it. So that, that, that over 28 years, almost 29 years of having this miracle is an utterly amazing thing to me. And it is to a lot of other people. I can look at the stuff that used to beckon to me and not want it. And that's the miracle. Now. I had a lot of trouble with the God thing. Uh, I'm a third generation agnostical atheist or atheistical agnostic. And I was helped by my first sponsor, who was a great sponsor, except for the, his notion about what he had to abstain from that, that I had to abstain from. And he asked me this simple question. Is there anything that is more important than you are? And it didn't take me long, because we had young children, to say that love was more important than I am, because I, I know that I would automatically die for my kids uh, and, and for my wife. And I'd like to think I, I would put my life on the line for others, but at least for them. Uh, 
so clearly love, the love I feel is more important than I am. And when I thought about it, even though I don't know how courageous a person I am, I do believe the truth and my sense of justice, which that isn't the legal sense, uh, and, and beauty are more important than I am, that they will live longer than I will, and that ultimately what I'd like to leave in this world is an ongoing extension of the truth and love and justice and beauty of the values that I have in this world. And the big book talks about that the real problem that all of us have, whether we are deeply religious and have a specific kind of God, or we have a sense of the general spirit of the universe, or whether we're atheists or agnostics, our real problem is that we have cut ourselves off from what we deeply believe in. And because of that, our minds go astray. And what the steps do is get rid of the blockage between what we deeply believe in, say, in our heart, and how we think and act in our head. And the pipeline is blocked. And what the steps do is unblock that pipeline. So for me, the steps were able, because when I was living with my addiction, I was going 180 degrees in an opposite direction from what I deeply believe in. I was not truthful. I was lying about my life, about how I ate. I was not beautiful. God knows I wasn't beautiful. Um, I wasn't loving, uh, you know, because my, my, our children and, and my wife deserve a longer living person without disabilities, isolation, you know, moodiness. Uh, they deserve a loving person. Uh, and, um, and I wasn't being fair to, to the world. I was judging things that I had no right to judge, and I was filled with frustrations and anger rather than the love and compassion that I think that I have to bring to this world. So when I work the steps, and, uh, you know, it, it's sort of like, it's just amazing. You come, I come because of the food problem, and, this, and, and the 12 steps say, well, go somewhere else, and you'll solve the food problem. Don't try and solve the food problem. Solve something else, and then the food problem will be solved for you. And that's what they did for me. You know, the, this whole um, exposure of the harms that I've done to others through steps four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. This whole sense of, you know, in, and, and in so many ways, the harm I did to others was withholding myself, not doing anything. I, I sort of prided myself that I was a nice guy. I didn't hurt people deliberately. I didn't, I was never violent. I, you know, I didn't, do, I didn't steal. But it was withholding the true self. It was withholding my emotions. It was uh, often uh, judging people in ways that I wouldn't judge myself. Um, it was uh, in, in not telling the truth when I should have told the truth. Um, that, that, and it was in not being loving and thinking more of myself and my interactions with people were more about how will they make me feel rather than how can I, make, how can I give love, truth, justice, and beauty to them. So as I began to work the steps, that's what happened to me. I began to realize that the kind of person I wanted to be was not the kind of person I was, and that in order to become the kind of person I wanted to be, I had to make up for any harms I, I, I created in the past and become a different person by, be, by living a different kind of life. You have five minutes left, Lord. Thank you very much. And living in that way... Um, I was given this incredible miracle that I, I came to this fellowship for, and that is, I didn't want to eat all the things that used to beckon to me. 
I didn't want to indulge in the eating behaviors that used to beckon to me. I have been free of that for 28, uh, for almost uh, 29 years. And I learned that to keep what I have, I have to give away what I have. That's step 12. These incredible paradoxes. In order to gain power, I have to admit I'm powerless. In order to give away, what, in order to keep what I have, I have to give it away. Um, I learned that I had to keep on doing what I did in steps 4 through 9 on a continual basis. Uh, whenever I felt restless or irritable, discontented, uh, whenever food became kind of a little issue with me, although, you know, not, not often does that happen, Whenever the world became too much with, with me, you know, because the world is a tough place to live these days. Uh, I, I had to do what I call a step 10, which is steps 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. And I've sometimes done them once a week, and I've sometimes done them once a year. Uh, I also learned I had to live for the day and not live in the past or the future. And that's what step 11 is about, is how I lived for each day. In step 11, I have to... Uh, consider the day that just passed and think about whether any of my defects of character came forward that day and figure out whether I need to make amends or discuss it with anyone and plan for a better day tomorrow. In the morning, I plan my day and if I don't know what I'm going to do, I ask for intuition and I trust that I will get it because the more I live according to what I believe in, the more my mind does all the work without the work that I used to do without the anxiety and the fears uh, and the guilt that I used to feel. Um, and for me, it's very practical because I don't have this sense of some God overseeing the world and sort of moving me from place to place or giving me what I need or anything of that stuff. I don't believe in any of that. But I do believe in some things. And I do know that the practical answer for the dip for the blockage is to do the steps, the 12 steps uh, of Overeaters Anonymous. So I'm really, really uh, uh, privileged to be able to carry the message to those who still suffer. That's why I, I'm so honored to be able to speak to all of you. Um, and you know what? I think I can leave it there. I probably left out some things, but I'm sure if there are any questions or anything like that, we can we can uh, deal with it. So. Do, according to this, it's at 9.30 a.m., but I see it's 11.26, but you gave me a five-minute warning about five minutes ago, whoever it was who did, so I'm going to accept that. Is that okay? Yeah? All right, so I'm finished. Uh, uh, this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing of this meeting. If you knew, need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you asked a question last week, please wait until the first three questions have been asked before raising your hand. So if you have a question, please uh, raise the, please click the raise your hand icon, or I think that's star, uh, star nine uh, if, you have, if you're from a mobile phone. So I see one question. Uh, how do you deal with just a minute, how do you deal with events to require you to eat outside of your meal times? My answer is pretty simple. Uh, I don't. I don't eat between my meal times. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I I will either eat before or after events. Um, uh, or there have been uh, direct times 
when um, I, uh, I have um, gone to four meals a day, if I know that I won't be able to eat until very late at night, I will have a snack because I have found I get ravenous if I don't eat more often. That's how I deal with it. I'm sorry for identifying you. I, it, I see it's a direct message. Sorry. Uh, Deb B. Hello. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for your share and for being a part of my recovery. Um, you kind of answered this with the first question, but can you talk about traveling and what tools you use when traveling um, you know, that you use in the program? Thanks. Well, I'm about I'm about to travel uh, uh, on March the first, and uh, who knows what the airline schedules will be like and how long I might find myself. And it's not always easy to find in, especially these days in Canada, the airports are kind of empty uh, still, and um, and not all the food places are open. So sometimes there's not much of a choice. I normally will bring something I can eat. Uh, it's also hard for me because I'm vegan, so I also have trouble finding. Uh, vegan food and this stuff, but I will often make my, you know, uh, bring some dried fruit or dried or or some some things that I can eat uh, with me and eat them. But I, I still only eat three times a day, unless unless it's very unusual circumstances, uh, then I I may not. But it's three meals a day and nothing in between. Does that answer your question? Okay, thanks, uh, Vincent. Okay, so, Lori, thank you so much for your share. If I understood you correctly, uh, you seem to say that you have been working the program, then you relapsed because you sort of left a little door open and you had a little bit of ice cream, and then you sort of went back into your old ways. Um, can you explain if that was actually the case? And if so, what has been the fundamental difference in working the program correctly? Thank you. It's a great question. Um, I believed that I could eat anything moderately. For seven years, I rejected what the doctor says in the doctor's opinion, that there were some things I had to abstain from. I believed that my problem was simply that I ate too much. And so I would lose my weight by going on a restrictive diet, and I'd work the steps. And then, well, I've lost my weight, and now, just as every diet I'm aware of told me, I can now eat anything I want as long as I eat in moderation, and the steps will allow me to eat in moderation. So I took back all the different foods that I used to gorge on. I had a little bit of them. Hey, I worked the steps. I can eat them in moderation. Now, for some people, that is true. For my sponsor, that was true. For him, his problem was only volume. It wasn't the particular foods. It was only volume. But for me, it was specific foods. And the foods I had given up on this diet, not because I gave them up because I followed the diet, and it didn't include those foods, like ice cream, like donuts, but like French fries and like deep, uh, you know, uh, deep fried chicken, you know, and things of that sort, uh, buttered popcorn, um, just like those, I was addicted to those foods. And, and being addicted to those foods meant that if I had a little bit of them, it's just like the alcoholic. One drink is, uh, is uh, too much and a thousand drinks are not enough. So it took me seven years in this fellowship and a study of the doctor's opinion of the big book and a willingness to say, what, what's been going on in my life that I've been in and out of relapse for seven years, that I finally accepted the notion that regardless of whether there's a medical or biological or chemical thing going on in my body, I had to accept that there were some behaviors and some foods that I could never have. 
And, and, you know, I've never been addicted to radishes, never in my life. But if the radishes are dipped in a creamy, creamy sauce, I can tolerate the radishes and I'll want more of that sauce. You know, so I had to do a really clear analysis of what was going on with me before I, I really was abstaining. And I have added some foods when I've found out that I'm, I have to abstain from more of them. I've actually taken back some foods that I discovered I wasn't addicted to. Uh, you know, but I, I don't indulge in them very much. Does that answer your question? Yeah, okay. And I think also eating behaviors is important because we have to acknowledge that within OA, there are a lot of people with very specific eating behaviors, like anorexia, like bulimia, uh, that, that they have to address. Clearly, they must abstain from those. But, uh, and I had to abstain from chewing and sucking between meals. Uh, you know, the same kind of eating behavior issues. Um, and I also have to abstain from volume issues because I have this need to have more and more and more, and I have to push that down and figure out how to have a reasonable amount. So it may just be eating behaviors for some. It may just be specific foods for others. For most of us, my experience has been it's a combination. That's been, but not for all of us, and we have to do our own analysis. Thanks. Bob? M? Can you talk about your daily routine, what you do on a daily basis? Yes, I, I spend, uh, these days I've been spending hours and hours on OA uh, work, either speaking at meetings or sponsoring. Um, I'm, I'm retired, uh, but in terms of food, I have three meals a day. I have the same breakfast every single day, uh, and uh, what I eat for lunch or supper will vary. Um, I get up in the morning, I think about the day that's ahead. Um, at night, I think about how I, how I did that night. And during the day, it hasn't happened a lot, but uh, when there are things that really bother me, I, I say what the big book suggests. I'm no longer running the show. I will not mind be done. Uh, you know, it's just so I, I get calm. My daily routine is not a... Uh, it, it, the, the time I spend is step 12 time. That's a lot of time I spend on that. Um, you know, I, I uh, never turned down a sponsorship, although my method of sponsoring is much more uh, limited than most others' uh, method of sponsoring. But, um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. It's not, um, I don't phone in my food or anything like that, for instance. Um, that just, that isn't what I need to do. It's what some people do need to do. And, and that's why I say every person's plan of eating has to differ because every person is a different person. And some people feel the need to commit themselves and not to worry about the food for the rest of the day. You know, and I, and I because I don't weigh and measure my food, uh, I have to be conscious and mindful of what I'm eating and how I'm feeling while I do it, which is probably more time spent than just phoning someone, uh, you, know, you know, and committing their food. So, I, you know, that's my daily thing. But, boy, there's so many variations of daily work. I have a friend who will meditate. He's in, he's in constant pain and suffers from depression, his morning meditation is an hour and a half uh, in order to prepare himself for living through the pain of, 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 of the physical pain he feels and the depression that just suddenly will glom down on him. So people have very different daily routines. And I, I wouldn't, I, I practice what I would call a good enough program. Not a great one. There are saints in this and idols I have in this fellowship who are far more spiritual than I am. Hope that answers your question. Juan. Hey there, thank you for your, for your lead. Hi, so um, this is my 
first time coming to an OA meeting. And uh, I, I've known that I've, I'm a I'm a binge eater um, for a while, um, and so I'm living in, in Barcelona with my partner, and I've been living with her for for a few years now. But um, she she brought the um, the problem up to me last night, and it's the first time that I've that it like it seems to have have affected someone else because, you know, it's like I live alone, I eat in secret, I do all those things, and <clears throat> I'm just, like, feeling a lot of shame right now, and uh, yeah. I just, my question is, like, how should I deal with that? Well, it's a great question because... I felt shame, too. I mean, I, my secret eating, I, I could tell you stories that are absolutely disgusting. Uh, my wife's never heard them, and I know if she heard them, she wouldn't eat for four, uh, four or five hours uh, because of how disgusting my stories are. But the fact is, if I accept that my body is different, that in some way, shape, or form, body is a very general concept, but in some way, shape, or form, once I start, I can't stop. And that's different from normal people. That that's a, that's a, somehow it has its physical experience. It, 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 it is something I cannot control, just as I can't control. I mean, you're not ashamed or, or embarrassed by the fact that you have to keep blinking, or that the fact that your heart has to keep be- beating, or that your breath has, you have to keep breathing. And I'm not ashamed that I have to wear glasses. Um, so once I accept that I'm not in charge of my body, that my body has particular problems, then that's not shame or guilt. That's reality. The real issue is, how do I keep from going back? And, and so, uh, being an addict is not a matter of shame. It's a matter of accepting responsibility for the disability that I have. I, hope, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but the responsibility is doing the steps which keep me from going back to the problem that I have. Once I isolate what I have to abstain from, and that, that takes some work, and it helps to get a sponsor. It helps to, um, to uh, read the literature of OA and stuff. So you figure out, what is my problem? What, what are the things that I binge on? You know, I, mean, I don't binge on radishes, as I said. Never, never have. Um, once you see that, or once you look at what are the behaviors, do I, do I eat at 3 o'clock in the morning all the time? Uh, should I abstain from that? You know, things of that sort. Once you do that analysis, then the steps will keep you from going back to that which you've abstained from. It's not going to be, I want it, I want it, but I can't have it, which is the diets I used to go on. But it's, why would I want it? It's poison for me. You know? And, and so the shame and guilt go. Because, as Matthew, you, you actually get a sense of pride and self-respect because you're doing something about your addiction. And, 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 and so it, it really is a wonderful thing. And I, I hope that answers your question. Thanks. Uh, Magdalena. Uh, and, and welcome. And welcome, Juan. You know, it's wonderful to see you. Magdalena. Thank you, Rory, and thank you for your service and share. Wonderful. Um, my question is about um, someone, what advice or recommendations would you give to someone who intellectually understands steps one, two, and three? But yet emotionally, that's everything opposite <laughs> to that in terms of 
admitting intellectually being powerless over food, but yet actions and emotions would point that, that that's not the case. The same with higher power. Intellectually understanding and accepting it, yet emotionally n- not doing it. Not Okay. Yeah. yeah. I understand. I understand the question. And I, you know, I, I have been like that myself. So let, let me speak from my own experience. Um, until I felt absolutely defeated, I did not have the energy or the will to do what I had to do. Sometimes we spend too much time on steps one, two, and three. I, I think sometimes we really do. If we accept intellectually the reality of our, of our bodies and we accept intellectually that the mind is, uh, is our real problem, then we shouldn't think too much. And we should just do what has worked for millions of addicts with dozens of addictions, the steps. And um, sometimes it's just a question of just doing it. You know, people often wait at step three for something to happen to them. But uh, as, as a wonderful speaker I heard once said, the proof that you've taken step three is that you're working on step four. And uh, sometimes we delay too long in working the steps. Uh, we, can, we can do them relatively quickly, and then the answer will be, it works. You know, I'll try it. Intellectually, I'll try it. Uh, you know, this emotional, the emotional power can be avoided by saying, I will work the steps in four or five weeks. I will give myself a deadline, and I will do what I'm told works. And I will do it, and I will abstain while I'm doing it. And let's see what happens. And I can guarantee you, I think I can, if you're like me, you will have this sense of release. And it will prove itself by the very simple fact of it. If you say to yourself, oh, I've got to spend five weeks on step one and five weeks on step two and three weeks on step three, and then I'll get around to step four and I'll do step four, it'll take me a year, you'll you'll relapse. Most of us would relapse in that kind of situation. So just do it. I think is the best answer. Forget about the emotions. Just do it. But set yourself time limits. Hanging on for five weeks is much different from hanging on for the rest of your life. So you can just say, for today, I will not eat this. Get it out of your house. Don't go to parties. Whatever you need to do. Does that make sense to you? It does. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks. Uh, Ginger. Hi. Good morning. Thank you so much. Um, In what ways has your self-identity and your self-esteem changed from when you were in the food and and how you viewed yourself and how you went through the world versus now that you have recovery under your belt how do you view yourself um yeah self-esteem and just moving through the world differently okay well i i mean it's a, it's a great old joke i used to be conceited but i got over that now i'm perfect but um five minutes left um, for q a yeah we have five minutes left right yeah um, I think that what, the, what, what has happened to me, uh, there's a wonderful passage in the, OA 12, in the AA 12 and 12. We talk about we were never one among many, a friend among friends, a worker among workers, a member of the family. We always strove to the top of the heap or to dive down below. I was always at an extreme. I was never ordinary. And I think that uh, I was either the worst or the best. And sometimes simultaneously. And, and Bill Wilson, who wrote the big book, has a wonderful essay on pride. And he says, guilt is the opposite of pride. I'm the best is the same as I'm the worst. 
And none of us is the best and none of us is the worst. And what this program has taught me is that I'm ordinary. I'm just, I'm just the same as all, everyone else in this world. I'm neither worse nor better. And that is what my, where my self-esteem comes from. It comes from my connection to my higher power and not from what other people think of me or what I think of myself. How connected am I to truth, love, justice, and beauty? So it has changed my sense of what self-esteem means. Have I been useful today? Have I been loving today? Have I been truthful today? Those are the questions that I ask, and that's what gives me my self-esteem, not what others think of me or anything of that sort. And it's been a, it's been a wonderful thing. Because I used to use other people to tell me whether I was good or bad. And now I don't. Okay? Naomi. Thank you, Lori. My question is, for those of us who are binge eaters and do not have a problem with specific ingredients or foods, what should we really abstain from, and what kind of food plan should we put in place? Okay. Well, binge eaters may have specific foods. You know, people say, well, I can eat anything. And when I ask them questions like, you know, I can eat even, you know, I eat pasta. I say, is it pasta or would you put on the pasta? Is it the kind of sauce? Would you eat it by yourself? Do you have texture issues, taste issues, uh, sensations in your mouth kind of issues? So, you know, I'm always... I, I think it's always important to examine the issue of whether specific foods do cause the binging. But let's assume for the moment that it is simply a volume issue. Then the, then the abstent, abstaining is to make sure that you get, uh, if you have to lose weight or you have to gain weight, how do you reach a healthy body weight? Uh, well, binge eating will mean you eat too much. Uh, how do you uh, reduce the amount you take in in order to reach a healthy body weight? And I would be vigilant to look at certain foods. Because anything that says to me, if I have to lose weight, and says to me, yeah, but I don't binge on, on ice cream, so I can have a little bit of ice cream as comfort food, and a lot of diets will say that, I would say, why are you having anything that gives you waste calories? You know, and so I would watch that. But that's my only answer. I don't have a, there's no real answer other than you abstain from that which you're addicted to. And you have to be honest about what really addicts you. Okay? Thanks. Alyssa, we have, I have two more questions. We have time for two more questions. Yes. Thank you. Um, so I'm new to OA and have a husband and two young kids. And they're busy. I'm pretty scheduled with their practices, sports, et cetera. So I'm running around pretty, pretty, pretty <laughs> a lot. What do I need to do to succeed in this program and put OA first? Like how much time do I put in a day? And, and what should I do each day? Um, consider the time that, if you are addicted, you spend on your addiction and replace that with the time you spend on OA. How much time, uh, you know, you can work the steps relatively quickly. And it doesn't require a lot of work, but it requires a lot of honesty. It does require work, but it requires honesty more. Um, I would say it's worth staying up uh, half an hour uh, a night uh, uh, or getting up uh, half an hour early because in the end you'll get more energy. Uh, uh, but it has to be a priority. And, and I think that, you know, with a family, you end up saying to them in some way, shape, or form, if you want me to live a long life and to be with you for a long time, you're going to have to sacrifice a bit in the, in the moment in order for me to do that. Because I'm on the spiral. If you're like me, I'm on the spiral descent into isolation and, and debilitation and being relying, and relying on other people and not being able to do what I need to do. 
to, to be a member of this family. So sacrifice a bit because I need it. And you need it too. Does that help? Okay. Tabitha, last question. Hi, thank you. Um, I'm fairly new to OA as well, but I'm working my own program for years, and I really relate to pretty much everything you said about how you have a sugar addiction in all these categories, but also specific foods, and how you had for several years you'd get it under control and then fall off the horse, um, which has pretty much been my story. Um, I have sugar addiction, carb addiction, but then there are also specific foods like crepes are a big one for me. Sushi is a big one. Um, and I think I've known for a long time logically that abstinence, like severe abstinence is the only way, but it's Not hard time, to folks. Have that. Um, I think that the the thing is thinking of like celebratory moments or going to my granny's who's an amazing cook and one of the only family members I really relate to and never having one of her dishes again. So I wondered, were there any extra tools you worked with to really kind of take those moments and be able to deal with that feeling of letting those things go? Quick, quick answer. And then we'll go back to the, because we're, we've run out of time. Um, my email is on is on my name, and if you want to email me, I, I'll give you a fast answer. Quick answer is, I worked the steps quickly, and I no longer had those needs. I didn't worry about that. That that's the quick answer. It's just working the steps. 